There are two places in the New Testament that specifically outline the work of God's Spirit in gifting His people within the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. One is found in Romans chapter 12, and the other is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so it's pretty easy to remember there, both chapter 12, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. Today we are going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, if you'd like to stand and follow along with me. And we'll be reading through verse 31, which is quite a lengthy passage, so uh, try to try to uh, pay attention here. I'll try to read the best I can, so as not to be a distraction, but rather a help. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of the one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, they are all members, yet one body. There are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather. Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to those parts which lack it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. 
Let's pray. Lord God, you are a good and gracious God, full of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. And you have demonstrated your grace to us in so many ways, but not least of which that you give to your people gifts for the edification of the body, that we might be able to be built up and strengthened. And Father, we pray that now as we hear from Pastor Nick the message you have laid on his heart for us as we work to uh, develop leaders within our congregation, identify leaders within our congregation, and express the gifts that you have given to your people for your glory. I pray that you would enable him to speak faithfully and clearly that which you want communicated, that we might be able to hear with hearts that are able to receive it, minds to understand it, and a life that is transformed by the renewing of our minds. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you will, turn with me in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read from verses 11 to 16. And a little bit of this is going to be familiar to what you just read. We just read that the body of Christ had had been given apostles and prophets, and that there's a diversity of members of the body of Christ that make up this body with Christ as the head. And the reason for doing this is last week I talked about the really the spiritual leadership of the church and how its aim is to advance the kingdom of God, that particularly spiritual leadership has a goal of guarding the sheep and looking after the sheep, investigating lives, seeing that we're all growing in holiness and exhorting them to that. And then lastly, that particular task that they have is that it's to teach. And what can oftentimes happen from looking at what God's word says about the leadership, if you're not in leadership, you might have be under the impression that, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Well, first, all of God's word applies to us. And particularly, the reason why all of God's word applies to us in this situation is that we all find ourselves under authority. All of us find ourselves in the body of Christ and trying to navigate how do we function? How do we use the gifts that God has given us to bless the church? And specifically, Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a, a really key insight into that as members of the body of Christ what it looks like for us to function. Last week, we looked in Acts chapter 20, where Paul had kind of had his speech to the Ephesian elders, telling them how much he loved them, how he had instructed them, the whole counsel of God. Here, we're reading a letter that he wrote to the Ephesian church. And later, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he would write to the pastor of this church. So, Paul had a particular care for this church in Ephesus, care for its health, care for its well-being. And in the book of Ephesians, he's writing to a group of people who've experienced a really a big host of errors that he had warned them of in Acts chapter 20. For as even Revelation tells us that this group of people would eventually drift off from their first love. 
these people had experienced in first timothy had experienced wolves come up from among their own midst and also from outside their community exactly as paul had warned them in acts chapter 20 and paul started off his letter to the ephesians in the first three chapters detailing all that christ had done for salvation for his church all the things that christ had accomplished bringing them into one body. And what we get in chapter four is the offshoot, the very beginnings of his practical instruction that comes from that reality of being united to Christ, being forgiven of our sins, and even being reconciled with each other, both Jew and Gentile being brought into the one household of faith. So keep that in mind as we start, and we're going to start at verse 11 of chapter 4. And he, that is Jesus Christ, ascended into heaven, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we have all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the likeness, of the fullness, rather, of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that it instructs us not just that salvation has been accomplished, but you have shown us God's love to bring us into a salvation that's full-orbed, that began by grace, continues by grace, and all of our future will be resolved solely based on Jesus Christ and the grace that that the Father has shown us through his Son. Pray that you would give us just eyes to see and ears to hear the truth that comes from your word, that we might live by it, motivated by thankfulness. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray, amen. This passage talks a lot about equipping. If we were to look at the leadership of the church, the leadership of the church, another way of viewing it could be that of an equipping ministry, guarding from error, equipped as Ephesians 6 will say, with the full armor of God, making sure we're dressed for combat, from things like wolves coming from without, coming from within, and particularly armed by a teaching ministry. 
But what's the purpose of it? What's the end goal of this equipping ministry that has been given to the church of Jesus Christ? And before I get too ahead of myself, I think that sometimes we get lost in some maybe Christianese that we often speak when we're talking about the church. Who here is being equipped? We talk about the church and the Bible gives us lots of images, lots of pictures for what the church looks like. We're told that the church is the people of God. And that title connects us to our roots in the Old Testament. That Abraham was selected from all the peoples of the world and he was given a promise that he and his children, the descendants after him, would be, that God would be their God and he would be, or rather, he would be their God and they would be his people belonging to them. And when you read texts like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you see how this one people of God, Israel, is how Paul talks about the church. He talks about their father, our, as Christians, fathers in the faith, how they walked through the Red Sea, how they were baptized by the Red Sea. Well, obviously, it wasn't New Testament Gentile Jewish believers that were baptized. That's not our fathers. It was talking about the Old Testament, the Exodus. And Paul attributes to the church that title. That we have, Romans chapter 11, that as all those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior, that we've been grafted into that branch. That branch that had the, at its root, Jesus Christ. But we are now a part, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, part of the vine that is the people of God, finding our source of life in Jesus Christ as the Jews did before us. We see the church talked about as a flock with sheep, sheep who are being guarded. And that's what we really looked at last time, that all of God's people are sheep. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who governs and watches over his sheep. And in his providence and his, the way that he has set things up, he has some of those sheep doing different tasks of guarding for him and other sheep of caring for the physical needs. But all God's people are on an equal playing field and are sheep. We have so many other. The church as the family of God in 1 Timothy 5, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, that the church is the bride of Christ who Jesus loves and has sacrificed himself to save. But here we see the same uh, picture that I think is really comprehensive, and Paul uses multiple times throughout his epistles. The church as the body of Christ. That what we have in the church is a bunch of people with a bunch of variety to them, gifted in a variety of different ways, all working together, moving and growing from a child into adulthood, and the commonality that this whole body has to one another as they relate to one another is that they have the same head. They have the same source of life. They have the same guy giving orders in what to do, where to go, how to live, what their mission 
is. When we talk about the church of Jesus Christ, what we're talking about is, yes, it has an organizational structure to it. Reading a lot of different uh, letters that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, the very first verse, he writes to the saints who are in Philippi, along with the overseers and the deacons. His church, the people of God, does have an organizational structure to it. And when we hear organizational structure, we might think hierarchy, but that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is that of a body, that we're all part of the same family. And although we might have different roles and different functions, that diversity is the very thing that equips us for serving and following after Christ. And we see the dynamic here played out in Ephesians chapter 4. We see this dynamic of how this, these groups relate to one another. And we see that Jesus Christ, he equips his people by the work of ministers. He also does it to a particular end to the maturity, the full maturity of all the sheep, of all the body parts. And lastly, that the equipping ministry is for a particular purpose, and it's for a common purpose, is that of missions, that of really a particular mission. And I just wanted three M's there. That's really the only reason for mission. That mission, that goal point, is so that we can advance the kingdom of God. We're all on the same track. We all are part of the same body with the same pair of feet moving in the same direction. And that's what we'd like to look at this morning. So let's look at how Jesus Christ equips his body. He's the one, after all, who in the first three chapters of Ephesians showed us that he's the one who organized it. The Father had a plan before all eternity to save a particular group of people. Jesus Christ, before time began... He agreed to come and accomplish and purchase this people to be his body. And his Holy Spirit works this out in time and in space, equipping this body, making sure that it does grow through life. But this works out in time and in space, in the real world. And in verse 11, we see how Jesus Christ does it. The very first part of this chapter talked about the ascension of Christ to his throne and what happened afterwards. And what did he give? Well, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. What Jesus Christ gave is he gave them ministers. And remember here, I'm using this in the broad sense of the term. Of servants. Jesus Christ is the head. He's the one who is the legislator, if you will, writing the laws for the people of God. But he has different people who declare his purposes, who instruct in his purposes. He has, first of all, apostles who are the foundation, the, the foundation stones of this building, if you will, of the church. Think about Matthew chapter 28, he gives the great commission, and it might help if you turn there to see it, at least I will. 
Matthew chapter 28, starting from verse 16. He says a very familiar thing. He said, now, to the, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him. And we get a tale of honesty here. We see, but some doubted. What a realistic picture of human beings interacting with the, the Savior who had come back from the dead. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus Christ is the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's the one who rules his people. And in light of that, the very next line, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, this is the exact picture that we see being fulfilled in the book of Acts. We see Jesus Christ having all authority, and on the basis of that, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, he pours out his Spirit, he enables his disciples, and guess what? He is with them always, even to the end of the age. And it's on the basis of Jesus Christ seated, seated at the right hand of the Father that all the other events in the book of Acts take place. Him ruling, him reigning. But it's the apostles themselves who go about, who are the instruments in his hands, who are building the church who are calling people to repentance. And they're not just calling the Jews. It starts in Jerusalem, but it works its way throughout the entire world. The entire Roman world finds itself submitting to Christ. Not every individual, but the church is being made out of every people group. And they're gathered into a body. You know, I've, I've heard church membership dismissed at times. And I think Right now, it's a little bit passe that we commit and become members and identify with a local group of people. We often individualize our salvation and individualize really our whole task as if the goal and the task of maturing in the faith and growing in Christ's likeness was ever meant to be something that we can do as isolated individuals. That's not the case. Jesus Christ set up his disciples uh, set up his apostles to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. If there's one thing that the whole Christian church can be in agreement upon, is that baptism marks the people of God, entrance into the covenant community, sets them apart as holy unto God. If you're being set apart from something, you're not being set apart as an isolated individual to operate. You're being set apart as a Christian into the body of Christ, being grafted into it, being identified not by your name, not by a confession of, I, Nick Krause, am a follower of Christ. No, we're baptized into the name of the triune God of the universe. It's his name to which we belong. It's his body that we find ourselves a part of. And it's to this body, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, 
that he's given these individuals who have started the church, who have laid down the cornerstones of it, and all their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 1 Peter 4 speaks to this, kind of like chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 are both about spiritual gifts, both about the body of Christ and how it functions. Both here in Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4 talk about every member of the body of Christ having a very functional and practical role in ministry. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, and each received a gift. Use it, use it to serve. Right there is the same word we get, minister. To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Notice the diversity here. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that every in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Notice that the whole people of God, everyone, no matter what gift that you've been given, everyone's ultimate aim is to advance the kingdom of God, yes, but in particular, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, to glorify God, to see the entire globe, if it were possible, that every knee right now would bow to the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see. That's what every member wants to see. And every member, in verse 12, every member is equipped by the working of these apostles, by the working of these officers, if you will, to equip the saints for the work of serving, of ministry. You see, Christians, the way the church has functioned as an organization, at an organizational level, is that we are equipped by ministry for ministry. We're, we're equipped by leaders, yes, but really by leaders who are identified in Christ-like service, dying to self so that you may live. Leaders, we are, you are equipped by servants so that you may serve. You're equipped by leaders so that you can lead others to Christ, to bear witness to Christ, to bear witness to his work in you. Yes, but more importantly, to the witness of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. This is the task of every Christian. See, the reason why we function in the church and why we love the organizational structure even of the church is because Jesus set it up that way. If you're a Christian, you can't be against organized religion because Jesus organized a religion. And he did it by showing who he is. He didn't organize it with a bunch of different domineering, uh, authoritarian control freaks. No, the leadership of the church is one of empowering, one that's meant to show you what your gifts are to equip you to serve and to equip you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that maybe you, you only could. We all have different functions in the body. I know I've said this before, but 
the officers of the church are not the only ones who are doing to do the work of ministry. The officers of the church are not the only ones who are to evangelize people outside of the church. Does instruction in God's word, word help in that task? Yes. That's why we receive instruction from God's word daily. Will some be better at it than others? Of course. But that does not take away the responsibility from you. And plus, you don't have to rely on your convincing ability to convert anyone. The power that is, of the, that is to transform a human life, to make someone from a sinner into a saint, is not a power that's found in your eloquence. It's one that's found in the gospel itself. For it's the power of the gospel that is to work for salvation. To the Jew first, yes, but also to the Greek. In other words, it started in Jerusalem, of course, but it went throughout the entire globe. And now there's no longer one people of God made of one ethnic group, but now there's one people of God made up of every sort of people group on the globe. We think of leadership in terms of power, but when we're working in God's economy, we're working with a totally different set of currency. It's one of service. It's one of exalting others, of one of counting others as more valuable than themselves. And the saints are equipped for the work of ministry. They're, they're equipped by ministers, by the ministry, for a very specific task. And it's described at the second half of verse 12 as building up the body of Christ until we obtain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son. Well, what's a good way of looking at this? The very next phrase, to mature manhood. The work of the church officers is to equip you to be able to serve Jesus Christ. And if you're going to serve Jesus Christ, something we all know is it requires growth. It requires maturity. And he started off with a picture of a body. And now he's moving to the picture of a man. What's the goal? The goal of the officers is to guard, to tend to, to see the sheep fed. The goal of every sheep, though, is to mature, to grow. And it's the building up of the body to mature manhood that's defined as to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal is that of maturity. See, we're told to have childlike faith. But we're not told as Christians to be childish ever in Scripture. Jesus does use the model and says that, you know what? Children are part of the covenant community. To children belong the kingdom of God. But as every parent who has kids knows, you don't want your children to remain childish forever. You want to see them grow up. You want to see them mature. You want to see your sons become men and your daughters become women. And not just any kind of men, godly men. Men who honor their parents, who follow all the Ten Commandments, but most importantly, men who submit to Christ. Women who have submissive personalities, ones that will submit to their husband, 
one that will honor their fathers. But we don't want them to submit to just any man. We want them to submit to godly men. And we want them to submit to the most godly man of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, and have him take control and ownership of their life. You see, when we talk about church membership, the same thing that happens in marriage often happens in this same church context. We have a problem with submission, don't we? To obeying authorities, to having our life directed to where we're going to be fed, people who tell us what to do. You know, that's a problem of all of us. All of ourselves find ourselves under authority. Right before in the book of Ephesians, when he gets to how this works, this equipping of the saints for ministry of how it applies to wives, how it applies to husbands, how it applies even to slaves and to masters. Right before he gets to the wives, submit to your husbands, verse 21, the very first, uh, the verse right before it says, well, I'll start at verse 20, giving thanks. This is chapter five of Ephesians, starting at verse 20 giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are all under authority. We are all under authority for a very specific reason. We're not mature. We all are growing. We want to get to mature manhood, but we're all going to be growing throughout the entire duration of our lives. And specifically, we need to be built up into mature man, manhood to mature in the faith, grow in godliness, grow in Christ likeness because of verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, the reason why we need to be mature and fully equipped is because of danger. You see, the mark of childishness that Paul is particularly concerned of for all God's people is that they don't remain naive like children, trusting everyone, not knowing better, and find ourselves deceived. Isn't this exactly what happened to Eve in the garden? If you looked at these words, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, we all have, and I'm not excluded from this. I'm a sheep just like you. We are all tempted to be deceived. We all have the devil prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And he gets Paul, in, verse, in chapter 6, starting at verse 10, he gets a, a picture of the armor that is being equipped to every believer. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
He talks about the shield of faith. He talks about the shoes of the gospel, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the belt of truth. All these tasks of maturing, a body that not only gets raised to mature manhood by learning who God is, receiving the whole counsel of God, but that body then is equipped with very practical things like a shield of faith and an armor. You know, when we talked about last week, we talked about the primary thing that identified an elder was this maturity. The most remarkable thing about Paul's list when you read through 1 Timothy 3 or Titus chapter 1, the most remarkable thing is not the what's there in the sense of you would think there, there would be some sort of skill set that is applied to this person that would make them lead, that they'd be uh, qualified by their skillfulness, qualified by their merit in the sense of uh, personal acclaim, that someone who would make a good doctor would necessarily become an elder. Someone who's a good lawyer and a leader or a CEO automatically would be assumed for positions of leadership in the church. But that's simply not the case. What we have is the same requirement for elders, is the same requirement for all God's sheep. It's that of godliness, that of growth. And in this life, we all receive the same justification in Christ. We all receive the same forgiveness of our sins because it's, we get that through our connection to our head, Jesus Christ. But sanctification in this life is progressive. It's going to be at different marks for different people. People are going to be found at different degrees and different stages along the way. But no one's going to become too fully into the image of Christ. No one is going to reach a full degree of the manhood that we see in Jesus Christ. But we're all told to grow. We're all toward, told toward to mature. And the natural consequence of such maturity that is and should be your aim is that the people around you follow maturity, follow that leadership, see that godliness. Now, this is not a quid pro quo system, but the point that I'm trying to make by following is that as a Christian, you should be farther along than someone. You've been a Christian. If you've been a Christian for two days, you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are farther along than an unbeliever. You know the way in the route of salvation. You can tell that to someone else. You might not be able to tell them much, but you can tell them what you know. See, the things that make a good godly leader and an elder, it functions in all sorts of areas of life. Leadership is not just a quality or a mark in a specific office that we find in the church. It's an office that we see in military service, in corporations. We see it in families. We're to be growing in godliness, leading other people, using our gifts in things like family worship, using our gifts to lead in maturing and discipling other people. Titus chapter 2 tells older women to disciple younger women in the faith, and older men, likewise, to disciple younger men. This whole discipleship mentality of seeing everyone mature, it only really works 
when we're all doing it together, when the whole body is maturing together. The body of Christ is equipped by the ministry unto maturity. And lastly, in verse 16, we see that it's equipped for a specific mission. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, what happens oftentimes in church is we think of maturity, growth, and godliness as a purely individualistic affair. That I'm concerned with my daily devotions, I'm concerned with my growth and godliness. And I think when it comes to verse 16, I, I found a really vivid picture in Calvin's commentary on this. Calvin talked about how, you know, if you just had a child, a small infant, and only the leg started growing, that'd be a disproportionate, badly functioning body. Imagine if you just focus on your maturity. You might be a foot, but guess what? If the body is immature, that's a dysfunctional body. That's an unhealthy body. Here at Evergreen, Do we need to mature? Do we need to make sure that we're growing in godliness as individuals? Absolutely. Do we need to be watching over our families, calling them to repentance, leading them to become more and more godly? Absolutely. So now we have a foot that's growing and we have a leg that's growing. But we also, as church members, we make vows to one another. And these vows that we make to serve the church of Jesus Christ, to support its work, We're not asking you to make any promises that aren't found in Scripture already for every sheep. Every sheep is to support the work of Jesus Christ, to see the body coming to maturity so that we don't have a baby with a massive leg or a guy who skips leg day and is just all arms and chest. No, we want to see that everyone around us is coming to full maturity, full growth. And that's a way that practically we all lead because. I don't have enough energy to go through and try to help and facilitate everyone's growth. You know, that's one of the marks of a healthy church. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. And see that last phrase there, growing up, building itself up in love, refers to this fact. The love is the one another's. The love is the focus on the needs of other people, not just ourselves and not just our families, because the type of love that the gospel gives us is we've been engrafted into a new family, the family of God, and we're to be focused on the needs of all of our family. It's completely natural for a person to care for their self, that they might be rescued from danger, and it's completely natural that you care for your children, but you know what's completely unnatural? is to be devoted to the growth and the care and the safety of someone that you really don't have any connection to besides a common connection to Christ. What we have in the church here, this body, what we see, this image of the body growing up into maturity is really the same word that we get fellowship. Fellowship just means 
having things in common. That's all that word means. It's from the word koinonia. It's the, by definition, it's to have in common in order to share, to share by giving, giving to one another, taking from one another, serving one another, enjoying the, the benefits of being in a similar circumstance. Or in here, it's the byproduct of having a common head. You see, the body is connected to one another. We oftentimes talk about maybe our feet hurting or stomach growling or my heart is broken. But, you know, your heart doesn't think anything. It's an organ that beats. Your feet, they feel pain, but the only reason why I feel pain is because it's sending a message up to your head. And the same thing goes with your cold hands, bruised wherever. The connection that we have to one another is because there's a vertical connection first established. We all are connected to Christ. And by virtue of being connected to Christ, we are really tangibly connected to one another. And the demand here is that if we have real fellowship and we're really connected to Christ, then there can't be any prejudice. There can't be any elitism. We don't see other Christians as being holier than others in the sense of value, in the sense of more set apart. For all have been set apart in Christ. All have the only hope of heaven, the only hope of heaven that they are for everyone is that they're found in Christ. And even when it comes to serving, even when it comes to being equipped, oftentimes where we find ourselves is heaped up with burdens. Does this mean that I need to evangelize the world? Feeling the weight of the world on our shoulders, seeing where we don't serve, seeing where we fall short. And this is when it's really important, not to undercut everything I said before, it's really important to realize that connection to Christ that we have. That we try and we seek to serve Christ because he first saved us. He served us. His whole life was one of self-sacrificial service to the benefit of us and to the benefit of his father in heaven. The body works because it's been given life by Jesus Christ, the living head. The body is equipped because Jesus himself has sent the Holy Spirit through individuals to equip you. The goal of the body is to live faithfully because the faithful Savior has already lived for us. And we could go through on and on and on with this. And I say this because sometimes when we talk about service, when we talk about leadership, when we talk about all of our duties to other people, we get to the point through maturity. Some of us mature all the way into old age, and we find ourselves being able to do less and less. The great thing is, is that Jesus Christ loves us no matter what our self-perceived usefulness is. We might find ourselves serving in one area, capable of having a home for hospitality. I don't have a home for hospitality yet, but you do. We serve and we work not as individuals where the whole weight of the world is on our shoulders. The goal, the weight of evangelizing the world is not up to Nick Krause, and I'm so thankful for that. The weight, though, does land on the church. It lands on somebody. 
And we need to make sure that we're motivated by God's grace to be zealous for good works, to have a desire to serve our Savior in any way we can, knowing that our usefulness is not what it's about. We just want to be instruments in his hands, and we'll do that through Sunday school leaders. We'll do that even by creating an opportunity as we age to be an object of service for others, for them to serve us, so them to have the opportunity to serve the body in Christ, the weak, the lonely. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you that you've equipped your church for the work that you would have it. We thank you that we do see and we have seen that the church of Jesus Christ has moved throughout the globe, that Jesus Christ has not abandoned his church, that he is still the head of it and ruling and reigning through his spirit right now, that he is still bringing people to be incorporated into his body. He's still bringing people to full maturity. We thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us this local expression of that body. And we pray that we would look at the other people around us and see opportunities to serve, opportunities to participate in worship, opportunities for involvement, opportunities for participating in the responsibility of discipline, growing and submitting to it when we find ourselves living lives of sins. Lord, I pray that you would also help us to submit to pastoral care. Lord, I pray that we would not embrace this highly individualized and privatized faith that's marketed to us. One that seeks our own selfish gain. One that sees how we can be served by others, but not how we can serve others. Lord, I pray with the tools that we've been given of things like Zoom and having an online church service that's recorded, I pray that we would not lean on those so heavily that we would forget that apart from being in community with one another, there's no involvement, no participation, no service. May we take attendance at church every Sunday and in any activities that we can, that we would take that with seriousness because we want to participate, we want to serve. And Lord, may we never forget that our service is motivated out of thankfulness. We love you, Lord, and we praise your holy name. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's join her in singing God's praises. Let's stand and sing his praises.